الجزيرة بودكاست. The attack on Brazil's Congress by supporters of the former president has raised questions about democracy. How much mandate should governments have if they win power by a tiny margin? And what does it mean for elections and to party systems? I am Hashim Ahalbara and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. I'm joined by our guests here in the studio, Mohamed Shalqawi, author and professor of conflict resolution at George Mason University in Sao Paulo. Giarme Casaro is professor of political science at Fundação Getulio Vargas University and head of the far-right observatory in Brazil. In London, we're joined by Inderjit Palmer, professor of international politics at City University London. Welcome. He's also the author of Foundations of the American Century. Welcome to the program. Giarme, this is one of the biggest attacks on government buildings since the fall of the country's military dictatorship in 1985. How significant the stuff that we have seen on TV about those people storming government buildings. Well, thank you for having me. I'd say that this is the actually the first big attack on Brazilian uh, physical institutions. So the buildings of the Supreme Court, Congress, and the presidential palace as well. Well, I, I think it's the combination of two, uh, two forces that Bolsonaro has helped grow in Brazil. The first one is a very strong far-right movement uh, represented by Bolsonaro and his supporters, and a movement that has become more and more radicalized with time. Bolsonaro has transformed Brazil into a laboratory for extremist ideas and tactics over the last four years. So uh, most of what we saw on Sunday is uh, an emulation of things that uh, have happened in the United States, for example, and in other parts of the world, uh, thanks to far-right ideologies. But we also have a very Brazilian element to that, which is uh, Brazil's militaristic past. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of elderly in, in, in Brazil, I mean, uh, elderly uh, rioters who, who believe that the best times of their lives was under military rule back in the 1960s and 70s. And even though this is very misleading, because, of course, dictatorships are intrinsically problematic, uh, they seem to uh, want... Uh, a government ruled by the military with Bolsonaro uh, as the, the chief leader, as the, as the supreme leader of the country. So um, I think it's a problem because even though it was not a coup properly, it, it signals to a, a very strong anti-democratic leaning on the part of several Bolsonaro supporters, uh, hundreds or even thousands of okay. them, who swarmed the, 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 the buildings on Sunday. Mohammed, who is to blame for the attack? Well, if we look at the three cases, Brazil, Germany, and two years ago was the United States, I think one of the deep-rooted causes is the fear among these right-wingers that they are losing social status. With the WASPs, for example, in the United States, uh, lobbied for the return, or at least Trump could have stayed another four years because he was their political savior. He is the one who is boosting their morale and... If we look at the other side uh, to the coin, I, f I see that white folks, the wasps, are fearing the triumph of these minorities. They are against multiculturalism. They are against social diversity, ethnic diversity. So I look at the white right wing as a collective 
action movement that is positioning itself beyond the mm -hmm. limits or beyond the boundaries of democracy. In other words, if we translate what happened in Brazil two days ago, is a contestation of the ballots, the rule of the game. And mm -hmm. therefore, it's more of a reactionary attitude of these right-wingers than any visionary or any rational sense of politics. Okay. Inderjit, many would say that if there's anyone to blame, it's definitely going to be Jair Bolsonaro for the simple reason that this is someone who spread false accusations about Brazil's electronic uh, system, saying that this is vulnerable to fraud. He didn't unequivocally acknowledge his defeat. He left the country on Inauguration Day. So this is the man who should be held accountable. Do you agree with this? Of course, I think uh, the way you framed it, of course, Jair Bolsonaro plays a major role in organizing, creating the conditions for, and encouraging and orchestrating it by not accepting the election outcome. But I think, uh, and many forces uh, in the United States have done the same kind of thing around Donald Trump in 2021. But I think it would be a mistake to focus it only on one individual. Mm -hmm. He's got a political party. There are people in the opposing political party who have some support for him. He's very close to the paramilitary and military uh, police forces and the and the military itself. And as your last speaker said, the big business, big corporations have been funding uh, the sort of fermentation, fermenting the rebellions by the fascistic and far right movements as well. So it's much more deeply systemic uh, within Brazil, within the United States, Germany and other countries as well. And I think it would be a mistake to focus only on a specific individual. Okay. Giami, Lula da Silva said that this is going to be his task, unifying a divided nation. How can he achieve that when the country is more divided than ever? Well, I, I think it's a challenge that's not only going to last uh, four years or eight years. It's a task for a generation to accomplish. And it's going to be very hard for Lula to, to uh, pacify the country um, in, in a context of very deep divisions along different lines. I, I think that in the case of Brazil in particular, race doesn't play as much a strong role as religion, for example, or, or class. Because what we saw on Sunday is uh, it, it was a revolution uh, undertaken by the middle classes that have been disenfranchised over the last uh, couple of decades in Brazil. Uh, Lula has directed most of his social policies towards the poor in Brazil so that the middle class and, and evangelical Christians in particular have felt uh, out of this framework, out of this uh, social uh, uh, protection network in Brazil. So in, in a way, and mm -hmm. I agree it's systemic, many uh, think that Bolsonaro spoke on behalf of those who had no voice under the Workers' Party administration. So it's going to be very hard for Lula to reach out to these uh, people. Of course, uh, there are some moderate Bolsonaro voters that can be uh, either co-opted or convinced that Lula might be a good option, but especially the most radical fringe of the Bolsonaro movement, um, that's going to be a challenge for Lula and for an entire generation of politicians to bring back into the political system. Mohammed, since the very moment of the, uh, 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 the protesters started storming the government buildings in, uh, in Brazil, people started to draw parallels between what happened, what is happening there and what happened back in 2021 in the United States of America. Was Donald Trump 
a factor in this particular Absolutely. case? What we are witnessing now is global Trumpism, where right-wingers now are attacking all legitimate institutions. And by the way, it should not be a surprise. For the past 30 years, we've had this development of the radical social identity. Under Bush 1, we had the conservatives. Then they became the neoconservatives. Then the Tea Party followers. Then we get to Trump, where we see the most radical face of right-wingers in the United States. So since Trump managed to enter the White House, it, it, he gave right-wingers all over the world the hope that, yes, right-wing politics matter, and we should take action. And I think now, when they are not happy with the outcome of the ballot, mm -hmm. what they do, they are trying to destabilize this, the, the, the country, and Brazil is not going to be the last case study. So we are looking at a dilemma of social identities that are no longer mm -hmm. living under the same umbrella. It doesn't matter whether you are American or not, but what sub-identity you are wearing or you are carrying with you. This is, I think, I need, okay. we need the identity theory as a key to understand what's going on. Indrajet, if this is a, a, an ever-changing political landscape, 70 years ago, we were told that the biggest threat to democracy was Nazism and uh, Nazism and uh, fascism. Then it was communism. 30 years ago, we were told that terrorism is the biggest threat to Western democracy. Can we say now that the biggest threat, existential threat to democracy in the West comes from within? I think the far right and extreme right wing forces, which some of which are fascistic, I think they are the biggest uh, if you like, threats to the kind of democratic political systems. And they're getting support from a very wide range of corporate forces, paramilitaries, and political parties as well. And, but I think we also need to, in a kind of political economy uh, context too, that the growing levels of inequality, exclusion of ordinary people from politics, the economic precarity in which people live, a lot of people on the right especially are mobilizing on a racial, religious, ethnic or other bases, and defining the people very narrowly, which is a, a source of division of people in order to mobilize themselves for power. And by doing that, in effect, they're not actually resolving any of the economic issues that middle class and ordinary working people face. Mm -hmm. They're actually dividing the people up so that the big companies, the big corporations, and the kind of real ruling elites, in effect, can carry on with their programs of globalization, uh, extreme inequality, billionaires, having large amounts of economic, financial, and political power, and try to hold on to that. But the mass of ordinary people, including middle-class mm -hmm. people, are in very, very difficult conditions in Europe, in the United States, in Brazil, India, and many other places. And uh, these cultural calls for identity politics of an extremely narrow character around race, religion, or ethnicity mm -hmm. are actually ways of dividing people and not solving any of their problems. But a large number of people have been mobilized behind those calls now for many decades. And that is a massive threat, uh, which, if you like, uh, major forces have to take into account and to deal with. And I, and I must admit that the liberal, establishment liberals are not a very reliable ally in the fight against those kinds of far-right or extremist forces. Okay. And they very rarely bring to account the ringleaders of these kind of attempted insurrections and coups.
Giammi, uh, before the Sunday attack, Jair Bolsonaro was already facing four ongoing criminal probes led by the Supreme Court Justice Alexander de Moraes. Do you see this event as a turning point that could push the government to ask for Bolsonaro to be extradited to Brazil? Well, I think it's possible, uh, even though the government, the, the, the incumbent government of Lula da Silva hasn't uh, made any specific move to ask for Bolsonaro's extradition uh, uh, up until this point. And I, I think that the government fears that if they try to bring Bolsonaro back uh, into Brazil, um, this is go going to stir even more violence in the streets because uh, most Bolsonaro supporters at this point, especially those who have remained uh, Bolsonaro, uh, hardcore Bolsonaro supporters, even after the, the defeat in the October elections, I think that these, uh, these groups tend to be very violent and they will react very violently to any uh, measure that the current government wants to take. So uh, I think that in the spirit of pacifying the country, what Lula, President Lula is going to do is to investigate uh, the, the, the coup mongers of, of Sunday's uh, attacks they are going to mm -hmm. find the the financing networks behind all these coup mongers. And again, most of them are elderly, middle-class people, sometimes very humble people that have been brainwashed by Bolsonaro's narratives and, and, and disinformation campaign on social media. So uh, I think that the, the, the real issue here is who's behind these movements and whether these movements, they have transnational connections with countries like the United States. So of course, Bolsonaro is to blame and he will be uh, held responsible at the end mm -hmm. of the day. But I think that uh, it's gonna take a while before the government tries to bring Bolsonaro to trial in Brazil because that's uh, a very disruptive element of uh, Brazilian politics right now. Mohamed, when you look at the, uh, Brazil, the United States of America and many other countries, what is quite striking is that in all these cases, you see an unprecedented level of disinformation. People go, use social media platforms and send wrong messages. They shape the public opinion and they create a delusional reality about what's happening. And this pushes people to take action. This is scary in a sense or another because we were thought that technology would help us. Technology could be it's not dangerous. Just, it's not just technology, but it's also the magic of the narrative. So we have two narratives now that are colliding. There is the democratic narrative that we should respect all the institutions. The Congress is a sacred institution, for example. And then the counter narrative, which is Trumpism in various manifestations. So these guys still steer the same narrative forward a large number of Americans, right-wingers, still believe that Trump may come back in 2024. So there is a, a golden myth growing in their heads that they can take revenge and they can destabilize the nation and then mm -hmm. pave the way for the return of their political savior. So it's still a very powerful narrative. And I think January may become, if we count, you know, consider what happened in Brazil, January becomes the month of the chosen glory for this right-wing movement. So mm -hmm. it is global, and I think it's going to spread to other examples. Indrajit, we've seen that the uh, far right is gaining momentum in Europe. Do you think that they would be tempted to somehow pick the same playbook like in the US and Brazil to advance their own political agenda, or at least to 
enforce a political change? I think the, the extreme right, the far right and the fascistic right are already in very significant powerful positions within the European uh, Union and their countries, uh, even if they're not necessarily in power. And we saw through the pandemic, many of the right-wing forces peddling their conspiracy theories about the vaccines and mobilizing around that and actually becoming very violent as well. And so the narrative is that the country, their country, they're, they're the real people, their country has been sold to the UN or the WHO or some uh, foreigners or terrorists or refugees and minorities and they want their country back. And that big lie is being peddled all the way through. And so I think that they are empowered by it. Mm -hmm. The authorities, liberal or other, are not doing enough. And my Brazilian colleague says that it's too provocative to arrest and extradite uh, Bolsonaro. Mm -hmm. The people in the United States and the Democratic Party said similar things about Donald Trump. But unless those ringleaders are actually taken and brought to book, and the people who helped organize it and how deep it goes into the systems in the, each country. And without that, this will remain a major threat uh, in, the, in the next decade or so. Okay. And the other thing, of course, is these are external issues as well, because we have a war in Ukraine and the threat of uh, further war, for example, over Taiwan and the mobilizations in that regard as well. So okay. I think there's a very dangerous time. Jeremy, what do you think would be the next step for uh, President Lula, particularly given the fact that we know now that they are accusing the governor of Brasilia for not being tough on the pro uh, protesters. There is a growing concern that the security apparatus in Brazil has been in a way or another with Bolsonaro, that the military establishment remains a key component in society. And the protesters are saying we would like to see the governor, the military take over power. Well, there are clear signs of complicity on the part of uh, the military and security forces, uh, especially in the city, the capital city of Brasilia, uh, who have uh, apparently allowed protesters to break into the public buildings of Congress, Supreme Court and the presidential palace. So uh, one of the big challenges for Lula right now, even though I think he he leaves this this event. He leaves um, this whole situation a, a little bit stronger than he entered because his reaction was very swift as he declared mm -hmm. federal intervention in in Brasilia. But I think that he will face challenges regarding two specific ministries, which are the Ministry of Defense and the Ministry of Justice. The Ministry of Defense is responsible for controlling the military. Uh, the armed forces, they have fallen under civilian control 25 years ago. Um, it was an attempt to prevent the military from becoming political actors in Brazil. Uh, we, we have a track record of military involvement in politics that has led us into military, long-standing military dictatorships in Brazil. So uh, Bolsonaro has empowered the military to become political actors all over again. And Lula will have to push the military back into the, their headquarters. Um, that's going to be difficult, especially because the Minister of Defense is a well-known uh, Bolsonaro supporter mm -hmm. who entered the cabinet of Lula uh, because of uh, party uh, accommodations. And, and of course, Lula will have to deal with the local, the state-based security forces. Uh, he had a meeting yesterday with 27 governors, uh, the, 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 all, all the 27 governors of Brazil. And 
and apparently it was a very positive uh, meeting because he uh, he was able to convince these governors that they have they are responsible for controlling the security forces who tend to take sides with Thank Bolsonaro you. who have turned a blind eye to many things that have uh, happened in Brazil Thank so you. these two are very important challenges for Lula Jeremy Casaro is Mohammed Sarqawi in Barma, I really appreciate your insight. Thank you. This episode was produced by Mohammed Al Aishi, Usama Aluni, Fungin Gwen, and Jima Harris. Studio sound was by Sura Shankar. The program was edited by Alexander Koller, Lynn Gwen, and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Wednesday for our next episode.